turn to Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we looked at uh, verses 1 through 13 last week. We'll stay in that section today. I'm going to read verses 7 through 13. Uh, follow as I read. Ephesians 1, 7 through 13, this is the Word of God. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen. Uh, Last week we looked at quite a bit in this passage, but we didn't look at the beginning of verse 8, and that's where I'm going to start today. Paul said, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Just that first part. Though I am the very least of all the saints. Now, in the Greek language that Paul used to write this, it actually reads, I am the lesser least of all the saints, or I am lesser than the least. The bottom of the barrel, he's saying he's just below that. Lesser than the least of all the saints. And this wasn't the only time that Paul talked like this. I want you to turn uh, back to the left a little bit to 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians fifteen, uh, verse nine. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. <clears throat> so Paul also calls himself the least of the apostles. Now turn to the right a little bit to First Timothy one. First Timothy one verse fifteen. <clears throat> the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So Paul calls himself the worst sinner. He calls himself the least of the apostles. He calls himself uh, the very least of all the saints. You know. Uh, I think this would drive the psychologist crazy. Paul really needs to work on his self-esteem. But it gets even more interesting when you consider the timetable for these three statements. Uh, I came across the order of these statements a few weeks ago. It was in a tweet by Pastor John Bryson, who's at Fellowship Memphis. Normally you dig through commentaries to find helpful insights, and this was in a tweet. But... uh, 
1 Corinthians was written a few years before Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians a couple years before 1 Timothy. So if we're putting these three statements in the order in which they occurred in Paul's life, he said, I am the least of the apostles first. And then a few years later, he said, I'm lesser than the least of all the saints. And then a couple years after that, he said, towards the end of his life, he said, I am the worst of all sinners. So the first thing, least of the apostles, then lesser than the least of all the saints, then I'm the worst sinner. Uh, What do you notice about those three statements, if you consider them in order? It's getting worse. worse. As time went on, Paul's view of himself grew more and more severe. So, at first, when he considered himself among the apostles, he saw himself as the least, which is a very strong statement, but there weren't that many apostles. And then he, you know, his sample gets a little bit bigger. Now he's considering himself among Christians. He's the least of all them too. Um, not, not just as an apostle, but as a Christian, and he's the least. And then at the end of his life, he's the worst sinner. The, the chief of sinners, some translations say. Now, Paul is very aware that every other Christian, or every other human, rather, is also a sinner, and he's considering himself with all of mankind saying, I'm the worst. Now, did Paul just have a complex, like he just couldn't get a hold of grace, or is there something that we can learn here? Uh, I think there's something we can learn. And it's that as Paul matures as a Christian, his view of himself gets lower and lower. So it is for us. Um, The more we grow in Christ, the lower our view of self is going to get. And a a proper low view of self is complementary to a high view of God. A bigger, deeper view of Jesus' work on our behalf. A more intimate knowledge of God's grace. No one would say that Paul didn't understand God's grace. He is a great champion of God's grace. We learn much of what we know about God's grace from Paul. Um, I've showed you this little illustration before, and I'll show you again. I didn't have a whiteboard, so this will have to do. But um, this is the, uh, the Christian life. This is you with no arms, and this is you on the Christian life. Um, two things happen as we grow as Christians. We have a uh, increasing, or yeah, just we we grow more and more aware of our own personal sin. That's our sin down here, and we also grow more and more aware of God's holiness. And as we grow, what happens? We realize at this point that God is much greater than us, right? Even more so than we did maybe here. And then we grow down here, and the gap is even bigger, right? We're just going, man. I'm a wretch, and God is not. He remains the same. But, did I say that Jim Imhoff showed me this? He did. Um, As the gap grows, you fill in the space with the cross. And as we realize our sin more and more, and we realize who God is more and more, the, the gap that He spanned in Christ to save us from our sin grows in our mind's eye more and more. It's not that the cross grows more significant. Actually, it just grows more significant to me because I'm realizing more of a sinner that I'm more of a sinner and 
that God is holy and that Jesus did all this. Okay? I think it's a helpful little uh, thing. So, consider this in a, in a couple of Paul's letters. Um, you know, Paul wrote Galatians early on in his ministry, close to the time when he wrote 1 Corinthians. He wrote Ephesians, uh, maybe 10 years later, maybe not quite that many years, but we, we find many of the same themes in Galatians as we do in Ephesians. There's difference, but uh, there's some of the same themes, such as salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But if you consider them side by side, in Galatians, it seems to me that Paul is making more of a factual argument. Um, and it's not that Ephesians is any less factual, but I think you can make the case that at that point in his life when he wrote Ephesians, Paul was more intimately engaged with the truths that he was ministering. Um, it's not that he didn't believe them deeply in Galatians. It's not that he wasn't intimately engaged with them there. It's just that he had been marinating in them longer. Remember that Paul's opening in Ephesians is this big, long section of worship where he's pouring his heart out in praise to God for the grace and the blessing that he's given us um, in Christ. So as time goes on, not only do we see Paul's view of himself getting lower, we see that his view of God gets even higher. His relationship with God in Christ gets even more intimate. And we want to follow in Paul's footsteps. Lower view of self, higher view of God, deeper appreciation of the cross, uh, greater love and devotion to Christ, and all that. So, when we're talking about a lower view of self, I think there's a couple pitfalls that we need to avoid. Um, Number one, having a low view of self does not mean that we stay focused on ourselves. Paul had an increasingly low view of his self, He was very aware of his sin, but he was not overly introspective. He was not constantly looking at himself. Um, His understanding of self led him again and again back to Christ and back to God and all of His grace. Back to the illustration, you know, there's days when we're kind of living on that bottom line and and we're just more and more aware of our sin. Maybe we just blew it uh, some way, somehow. Even maybe whole seasons of our lives where it seems that all we can think about is how wretched we are. But again and again, we have to sometimes make ourselves focus back to God and uh, His grace that He's extended to us in Christ. Yes, in my sin, I'm realizing the distance between me and God. He's perfectly holy. I'm very aware at this point. I am not. But again and again, I have to remember that he bridged the gap, you know, and uh, the cross gets bigger. So um, I think some of us aren't aware enough of our sin, but some of us can tend to stay looking at ourselves too long. Maybe you can identify with that. Um, Maybe you can tend to live in the place where your constant theme is wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, as Paul said in Romans 7. But, but you don't get to the next part of the verse often enough. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, that happened to me early on in our marriage. As those of you who are married know, you're married a day and you know your sin more deeply. But um, I uh, was very much aware of how much of a sinner I am, more so than I had ever been. And I kind of got stuck in the mud 
in that place, in the woe is me, wretched man that I am mindset. It's good to know our sin more personally and more deeply, and that's painful, but we just can't get stuck in ourselves. God has given us grace upon grace. He's given us grace for the forgiveness of our sins in Christ. He's also given us grace in the Holy Spirit to transform us, to live new lives. So um, when we get stuck in the mud like I did, we get stuck there because we forget grace, because we have grace amnesia. We forget that our sins are forgiven in Christ. We forget that the Holy Spirit has been deposited in us and lives inside of us in order to change us and in order to lead us in God's ways. I can't do what He's called me to do. We, we tend to stop there. I can't do it in my own strength, but He's not left me to my own strength. And Paul is a great example of this. He doesn't get stuck inside of himself. Even if you think about the whole of Ephesians thus far, we're, we're about through with chapter 3. Uh, thus far in Ephesians, what is Paul's main focus? There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's grace. It's Christ. It's what God has done for us, right? It's, uh, now, there is this little part about, I am lesser than the least of all the saints. But how much space does that fill up in what he's writing? I mean, it's half of a verse, and the rest of this whole three chapters is him just pouring out what God has done for us in Christ. The overwhelming focus is the grace and mercy of God. Um, another pitfall. If we, te- if we get stuck in looking at ourselves, we can tend to think that we're in- at this all by ourselves, which leads us to shy away from taking responsibility for uh, the opportunities that God has given us to serve Him. You know, we don't think we could ever do it. We, we don't think that um, we're good enough or strong enough or whatever. And remember, as we talked about last week, that this section, verses 1-13, through 13, are about how God made salvation in Christ known to Paul and the apostles and prophets so that they would make it known to the world. So, it's in the context of his great responsibility of service to God. Um, he's very aware that his responsibilities are a gift of God and that he's not worthy of them, uh, and yet he's going to... You know, do them. Verse seven, he says, "I was made a minister. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. This gift, this gift was given by the working of His power. I'm the very least of all the saints. I don't deserve this, but God has given me a job to do, and I'm going to do it by His grace and His power." Um, in fact, listen to the next verse in First Corinthians fifteen. It says, "For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God." But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So, Paul's very aware of his sin. I'm the least of the apostles, but it doesn't lead him to be stuck in the mud. He worked harder than any of the other apostles, he said. And he didn't work hard to earn anything from God. He worked hard because of the grace of God given to him. Um, He was very aware of his sin, which led him to be very aware of God's grace. And in response to God's grace, he worked harder than anyone. But he didn't even take credit for that either. He said, not me, the grace of God that is with me. So a proper view of self leads to a big view of God's grace 
And God's grace fuels us in selfless service to God and, and to others. So, don't let your growing awareness of your personal sin uh, leave you in the mud. In fact, as I look back on that period of my life, I think it was just another way of being self-centered and, uh, and selfish. And we, we have to get outside of ourselves, turn to Christ again and again, remember that God's grace has been given fully and finally for the forgiveness of our sins in Christ, and His grace has been given in the Holy Spirit for transformation. May that fuel us all to selfless service like Paul. Uh, There's another thing that I want you to see in our passage in Ephesians 3, um, if you still have your Bible open. This increasingly low view of self, which in turn leads to this increasingly high view of God's grace, um, not only did it lead Paul to selfless service, but it also led him to selfless suffering. So, uh, Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians from prison. You see in verse 1 uh, of chapter 3, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, by this time in Paul's life, he's been at it for a while. He had been lashed, he had been beaten, he had been stoned, he had been shipwrecked, he had been robbed, he had been betrayed, he had been without food and drink, he had been without clothing, even when it was cold, and here he finds himself in prison. I mean, if it wasn't going well for somebody, it wasn't going well for Paul. Yet in verse 13, he says, Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Uh, Amidst his suffering, Paul is dwelling on what God is up to through him. And not only is he dwelling on the fact that God will work all of this out for his own good, he's dwelling on the fact that God will use his suffering for the good of the Ephesians. If anything can tend to turn us inward, it's suffering. But here we see Paul as a selfless servant, even in his suffering. Mindful of God's work that's being done in him and through him. uh, Mindful of the blessing that God is bringing to others, even even through his suffering. So, a story just kind of about this. Uh, We prayed this week for Jessica Matthews, who had a kidney procedure, a kidney stone, to remove kidney stones on Thursday. Jessica's not here, right? Okay. Um, it went well, she's home, and all of that. And obviously, I mean, that's not fun. That's very painful. Those stones have been painful for her for quite some time. And um, I don't mean to make light of that, but while she's in the hospital, her nurse, uh, who I won't name, but her nurse just senses that, you know, Jessica and her mother are people that I could talk to, and basically just starts pouring her heart out to her and telling her about everything that's going on in her life. And her, her son just got out of jail, and, and he's on drugs, and he just got out of Lakeside, and, and he's only 25, and she's scared, and she doesn't know what to do. And uh, Jessica thinks, well, I know someone that you could talk to, you know, and so she called me. Um, yeah. I know. Yeah, anyway. Uh, so <clears throat> on Friday, I gave Jessica permission to give him my number, the mother called me, and honestly, uh, it took me about three seconds during that conversation to realize this woman needs someone to talk to, too. You know, like, she's like, let's just get my son fixed. And I'm like, well, we need to talk. You know, you're, 
not well. I mean, this has taken a great toll um, on you. And so I'm telling you, you know, she's out there thinking, I haven't been in church in years. My faith isn't strong enough. I mean, it was just a primed for the gospel moment. This isn't about you. This isn't about your work. This is about God's gift of grace. And we talked for an hour. And then I set up a meeting with her son who was willing to talk to me. And we talked for two hours. And I, you know, I just think about this. It, it was really, I mean, God was very much there. He leaves, and I'm not saying this to say anything about me, but about what God, He was just there. And the, the kid has, they, she's called 200 places to try to get him placed in all these doors of closed all over the country. And um, while I wasn't the one to say, this is what it's going to look like for the next many months, I was able to speak to him about some issues that were pressing. And uh, he left there saying, we prayed in my car before we left. And he left there saying, thank you. This has been the most helpful conversation that I've had. <clears throat> all that to say... God is at work through you, even in your suffering. He's up to things that, that we don't often know, but He uses even our suffering to continue His work, um, just as He did with Jessica. Here's the thing, though. We don't always see those things worked out, um, but we can trust that those things are being worked out. Our suffering is never an end. It feels like the end, but it's never an end of where God is taking us. It's a means. And, and not only is it a means for where He's taking us, you know, God uses our suffering to strengthen our faith, but our suffering is also a means for God to work through us. Um, most of you know that a few years ago I went through a three-year period of severe anxiety and depression, and that was terrible. But I cannot tell you how many times that experience has been used by God to connect me with other people. It happened again yesterday, my conversation with the nurse's son. And not only do people connect with that experience, I think people are better able to connect with me because God has used that to shape me, right? And so I'm more willing to enter into things that maybe I wouldn't have wanted to enter into before. It's the same thing for whatever He puts you through, He shapes you to be better able to engage with others that find themselves in a, in a similar place. Now look, I didn't see all of the good that God was doing when I was going through that. And in fact, I think we err, uh, err to, to try to look for it like the uh, butterfly effect or something. You know, I mean, we... We don't see it all. We can't see it all. We don't know what all God is doing and how He's using everything. Um, but now that I see the good that He's done even through my own suffering, and now that I understand from God's Word that suffering is not an end, it's a means for my good and for others, um, knowing what I know now, I think I'm better prepared to suffer in the future. And so it is for you. Um, the greatest encouragement in my life of someone who is a selfless suffering servant is my friend Chris Christell. I've talked about him in here before, but Chris is a member of our church. He's dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. He has been dying of Lou Gehrig's disease for 10 years. And with Lou Gehrig's, basically, ALS, uh, your brain loses its ability to control your muscles, and when your muscles aren't able to operate, they wither. Uh, it's a slow, painful way to die. 
Chris cannot hardly walk or talk anymore. Yet, he has one of the highest views of God and His grace of anyone I know. He's constantly thinking of God. He's constantly thinking of, even with his limitations, how he can serve others amidst his suffering. Uh, Many of you know him and can attest to that. What you may not know is how deeply Chris knows his sin. I mean, to listen to him pray is such a great privilege. He has a profound and increasing sense of his own depravity and a profound and increasing sense of God's grace to him in Christ. So there have been times in his life, even in the last couple years, where his sin was so overwhelming to him that he could not be convinced that he was a Christian. I honestly don't know a safer place to point for someone that you're a Christian. Uh, But his sin was so overwhelming to him. And as I said earlier, there will be days as we mature. There will be seasons where our sin seems to be all that we can think about. And there's just no consolation to be had because our sin is just right before our eyes. But God is faithful to break the clouds and rain down peace as we find our footing yet again in trusting God and thanking God for the gift of His grace. So it has been for uh, my brother Chris. It has been for Chris like it was for Paul. A growing sense of personal sin. Uh, a growing sense of the magnitude of God's grace in Christ, a growing resolve to serve God and serve others, even while suffering, may it be the same for us. I'm going to assign some homework, but before I do, do you uh, have any questions or thoughts? All right. Um, I guess unless something happens to us that takes us a tragedy or something that puts us in a, in a direct line of suffering, Probably for a lot of us, suffering isn't part of our daily routine. Mm. You know, um, do you think because of all these things you were talking about with suffering, <clears throat> the good for ourselves and the glory of God in His kingdom, um, do you think we should be looking for ways to be pricked a little bit, to, to suffer, to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, to suffer. Well, I mean, it would seem like. Yeah. That would be the argument. I think that there is more now. We, if we're going to compare my suffering to Chris's suffering, it's vastly different. But he would say, "God has prepared your sufferings for you," and I don't think we have to go look for them. I think they'll find us out. So for some, that may be uh, just let's say you're a mom at home and you've got little kids and you you found your blood pressure has risen to a point regularly that is not safe and you can't do anything um, with without anxiety and I don't want to diminish that suffering I think that is a I think that is a real burden uh, uncertainty in a job transition. You know, now while we can look and say, I mean, I've been reading a book about Christians that are persecuted all over the world and they're thrown in jail and they're beaten for their faith and I think, what am I doing? You know, I mean, it's been convicting. At the same time, I think those brothers would say, just like Chris has said, God has prepared your sufferings for you. That said, so there, we have whatever your suffering is, and I don't want to diminish that. They're legitimate sufferings that seem small, but they still consume us. You know. That said, to answer your question, I do think that we should be more bold in sharing the gospel and put ourselves in places that 
could possibly lead to those kinds of sufferings. But I don't, I don't want to like hunt suffering. You know what I mean? I think if we're more bold in our approach to live the way God has called us to live, then maybe there would be more suffering. Anyway, those are my thoughts. Okay, homework. Um, I will make a list of your sins. Write them down. <laughs> yeah, your homework will not be taken up, but uh, be as detailed as you can be. Here, here's the deal. The end goal is confession of sin, repentance, a deeper gratitude for God's grace. I think we can tend to be too general in our confession of sin. God, I'm a sinner. Thank you for your grace. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of prayers, um, but hopefully this exercise can help you to be more specific, to have a deeper understanding of your sin. And again, not to get stuck in ourselves, but to grow in our understanding of God's grace that has been given to us in Christ, to grow in our devotion to the One who was the perfect, selfless, suffering servant. The One who died with your name on His mind. So when you finish the list, and again, take a few days, fill it out, think back a few years, think back to yesterday morning, and be specific. And when you finish the list, write, it is finished in big, bold, red letters across the top. And remember that when you confess your sins to God, He is faithful to forgive them because of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are deeply sinful, depraved creatures. Um, And yet, You are uh, a loving, merciful, saving God. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get stuck in the place that says, woe is me, wretched man that I am, but we would always end in the place that says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, I do pray that you'd grow a deeper sense of our own sin so that we might have a deeper gratitude for your grace and might uh, follow you, Lord Jesus, in being... Uh, selfless servants, even in our suffering. We pray in your name. Amen.